Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome to another exciting and educational episode of Mindset to Mastery, the podcast. I am your host, Keisha A. Rivers, President and Chief Outcome Facilitator of the CARS Group, where we facilitate outcomes by equipping people to manage change. And on this episode of Mindset to Mastery, I am bringing you another fabulous guest. Um, and we are going to talk about strategies and tools and tips and actionable items that are going to assist you in changing your mindset and mastering your success. Dr. Nika White is joining me today, and she is an awesome DEI professional. Um, I was reading through her bio and her website, and we had a chance to spend about an hour together <laughs> at one point. And, um, and I just, I love her personality. I love her passion. And I had to have her on a guest because I think you guys really need to listen to what she has to say. So welcome. Thank you so much, Keisha. It is such a pleasure. I really appreciate you having me on. Well, I, you know, one thing I have, I have found with this is that when you encounter people that you really connect with and you have a sense of, oh my gosh, they're, they're doing great work. If you have a platform to share that with other people, I think that it's something that you should do because I'm of the mindset that not everybody knows everybody. And so I may think, oh, she's doing all of this great stuff. She's been recognized by Forbes. You know, she's got all this stuff going on. Everybody must know who she is. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but I don't think that everybody really gets a chance to to really listen to you talk about your passion and, and DE&I work. And so today we're going to talk about how to make DE&I practical, especially since nothing that's going on right now is practical. <laughs> Absolutely. I so agree. Right now we're all finding ourselves um, in such uncertainty. And so, you know, what we have been used to is, is no longer our reality. And so I think that we all are pivoting, but I appreciate you providing this space and this opportunity. Um, I, I see it as a gift. And, and I, like you, Keisha, when we talked um, for extended period of time, the way in which you were so willing to extend yourself, your knowledge and your insight, I really felt seen and heard and valued. So I just want to tell you, thank you. I appreciate that. That means a lot, especially as someone who is passionate about creating those opportunities for others. Well, you are welcome. Um, and I am happy to have you on. And so for people listening, um, and the way that I organize this, the podcast is it is meant for individuals, it's meant for leaders, managers, um, and people who want to transition into that space. And understanding that diversity, equity, and inclusion has always been a hot button, you know, hot button topic. Um, in the midst of, of all of this shifting that's going on, there are so many people I'm hearing that are saying, oh, well, we don't have time to focus on that now. And my first thing is, no, 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 no. This is the time when you really need to focus on DE&I because we're now moving from creating these uh, collaborative communities in, in our workspace to now having the workspace be shifted into our home spaces. Right. So I think that there's a, there's a different perspective in it and a shift that people need to take on considering what diversity, equity, and inclusion actually looks like now and how to make that practical. Um, because I know for you and your work, you've been working a lot with organizations to try to get them to create um, instances where their people are 
feel seen and heard and valued at work, now it's kind of the flip side where the company now has to be invited into their home space. What is, in your perspective, what does that do for someone, you know, an employee that is now looking at, I wasn't sure if I really fit in and I really belonged and I was really seen at work. Now I'm being forced to bring these people into my home because we're doing video conferencing and video calls and, you know, and I still have my home life and my dog and my spouse and my kids. And so what are you seeing um, as far as that's concerned with making that transition? So Keisha, I, I'll have to agree that I feel like this work of diversity, equity, and inclusion is so critically important more now than ever before. And I'm finding that people are starting to lean into that in some regards, while you do have some pockets of, of organizational leaders who are saying, we can't focus on that now, it's, it's seen as non-essential. Mm -hmm. I think that um, I've been encouraged by those who are paying attention to this work. And I think that they realize that for their employee base who are now having to juggle a lot of different things, you know, now you're being a mom, um, now you're being a, a school teacher, right, to your young kids. Now you're also trying to think about how are you going to remain healthy and sane? And so there are all of these uh, complexities that are leading people to be much more, um, I guess, demonstrating a great deal of empathy around what their employees are having to, to their, their new reality. But um, I think that the mindfulness piece is so important. So I love the fact that you have um, a platform around that topic. One of the things that I deal with oft often when I'm talking to audiences about diversity, equity, and inclusion is that mindfulness is a really important skill set in order to be able to do the work of DEI effectively. And the reason I say that is because if we are mindful and we are practicing good situational awareness, that means we're paying attention to those in which we're trying to connect with. Mm -hmm. And without that, the presence of face-to-face, -face, sometimes that mindfulness can shift to the back of our minds. And so I have been having a lot of conversations with people around continuing to try to be mindful of their situations. And that even means saying to people, if you don't want to have your video on during this, this conference, that's fine. Mm -hmm. You don't have to have your video on. Um, and that means even when we ask the question of how are you doing, really pausing and allowing them time to give a very thoughtful answer. You know, prior to COVID-19, I will admit, I was probably one of those individuals that maybe on occasions, because it was just routine to say, how are you doing? And then just really waiting for the conversation to transpire to something else. <laughs> now I'm finding it so appropriate to pause and really want people to share in an authentic way how they are doing. And so I think there's lots of things that organizations are, are um, needing to consider right now as we're in this very strange, delicate um, phase of life in our environment. Yeah. I think that one thing, one thing that you said that really stuck out to me is that you have to approach this more with empathy. Um, yeah. And I've, I've started seeing a lot of, you know, articles and, and suggestions on how to be more of an empathetic leader. Yeah. And to me, at first, it was like, that should be a part of leadership. Like you shouldn't, right. that's, that's a core construct. But then mm -hmm. I recognize that not everybody leads with empathy. Not everyone no. considers the whole person in front of them. And I think that for some time we've, we, I think we got on the wrong track in terms of our understanding and implementation of DEI. I think we started looking more at checking the boxes and oh, making sure. sure we were politically correct in our speech, 
and in what the ways we were, you know, talking to people and the ways we were forming our teams, instead of really understanding that the foundation of diversity, equity, and inclusion is about seeing and welcoming and including the person in front of you. Absolutely. There's a huge humanity side of this. And I find that oftentimes we are very transactional Mm -hmm. and that prevents us from, from really being able to see individuals as humans. You know, in fact, sometimes I I share openly that if it were up to me, I would completely eradicate the words diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I say that because I feel like those words have lost its power in some regards. They've become these sexy corporate buzzwords that organizations will just toss around or include into their corporate speak or their marketing and their branding without the true essence of how to deliver upon that in a way that's sustainable, that's transformative and leads to change. And, and so I, I think that that's, that's an important factor that some people are now coming to, to realize while we're in this COVID-19 situation is that you know, maybe instead of us thinking about this as a way in which we're trying to drive business results, we have to get back to the root because I do believe in the business case for DEI. But I also think that there's something to be said for um, a level of compassion and empathy just so that people can show up at their best. You know, I talk about belongingness a good bit, and um, it's hard for anyone to show up at their best in any environment if they're always questioning whether or not they belong. And so think about some of those individuals who in the workplace, when they were in, you know, a face-to-face setting, how difficult it was maybe for many of those individuals to show up um, in, at their, as their authentic selves. And now they are in a situation to where there's opportunity where they are less seen, less heard. Um, less empathize with. And so we have to keep that in mind. You mentioned political correctness a moment ago. I, I truly believe that oftentimes it's easy for us to gravitate towards political correctness, but I think that where that hurts us is that it causes us to not place emphasis on the need for cultural competence. Mm-hmm. I always say, let's drive towards cultural competence and really try to stay clear of political correctness because that gets us in trouble, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, so you mentioned cultural competence, and I know that there are some people that they're thinking, wait, what do, what do I need? I, there's another thing I need to know about now. <laughs> so, yeah. so kind of elaborate a bit on what is your vision or your take on cultural competence in terms of yeah. if someone was to figure, try to figure out, okay, what is this new thing that I need to take notes on now mm-hmm. that I need to know? Sure. Absolutely. So in, in very practical terms, it's, it's the responsibility that I think individuals need to own in order to help themselves become much more aware of other cultures, their backgrounds, and to not just stay in their bubble, but to see world from the lens of other individuals, because that perspective helps us to be able to operate with a sense of empathy, um, operate with a sense of knowledge. Otherwise, we, are, we have this propensity of gravitating towards stereotypes, generalizations, and um, misinformation, quite honestly. And that's where a lot of implicit bias will show up in our behaviors, in our conversations, in our decision-making ability. And so it behooves us to, to become much more culturally competent. And that requires thinking about who's in our network. Are we only going to those suspects that are in our immediate circle and continuing to engage them? Or are we finding it appropriate to cast the net wide and expand our reach? Um, are we finding it appropriate to build relationships with those who are different from us? And even using those strong relationships to ask questions like, 
tell me more about your culture and your background. Mm -hmm. You know, I always like to encourage people that when they have those strong relationships, don't be afraid to ask, what do you never again want people to say, think, or do about your group? And what do you value about your group that you want others to know? And then that puts us in the driver's seat to become better allies and to help um, debunk some of the, the myths and the misinformation that's out there about certain identity groups. And, you know, I love the fact that you're, that the type of questions that you're asking people to consider and the types of conversations are so different from the traditional. And, and, you know, as a woman of color, I have always been either one of a small group or the only, either the mm -hmm. only woman or the only person of color or the only woman of color. <laughs> so I got yeah. very used to being in these rooms and in these situations where people didn't rub elbows with people like me very often. Mm -hmm. And especially because, and, and I, I understand that with most people, you cannot, and, and let me put this out there, you cannot have one person become the representative for an entire culture, an entire race, an entire gender, none of that. Yes. That person has their experience and their background. And so you cannot diminish and dismiss the individuality of the person in front of you. Okay. Yes. So let's put that out there right now. Cause I don't want any right. emails and, and nurses and saying, I don't want to be the representative. <laughs> yes. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, but to that end, all of us have experienced some things that happen over and over and over again, when you're just like, okay, you know what? I'm just tired of having this conversation. So I love the fact that you say, you know, what is it that you, the misconception that you don't want us to think about or to be known for, you know, those are very different types of questions than mm -hmm. having someone try to explain or educate you on every nuance of culture. Right, absolutely. And I think one of the other challenges is that oftentimes people that are not a part of those marginalized or underserved populations, they will see it fit and appropriate to make it the responsibility of those who are part of those populations to help educate them. Mm -hmm. And that places even more vulnerability and pressure on those underserved populations. You know, it's not my job to help my white male colleagues to understand the lived experiences as a black female, you know, I think that that needs to be something that, you know, those individuals see it as part of their responsibility to go and learn about because it just, it, it further um, exasperates the, the level of marginalization and oppression that many individuals in those spaces experience. And so, um, and, and that's partly why I'm so concerned during this COVID-19 period, because I feel like those that were most vulnerable prior to COVID-19, we're going to find them to be even more in a dire situation. And so um, I, am, I am so concerned about what's going to happen to a lot of those individuals who have historically not been seen and heard and how what's happening now is going to add to some of those complexities. So let's look at let's look at this. So if you were to have the ear of you know senior level managers, executives, um, team leaders, supervisors, anyone who has the capacity, the responsibility of leading a team, working with a group, having a responsibility for employees, and it's their job to establish a culture, 
mm-hmm. in that organization that is going to provide an opportunity for their people to be seen, to be heard, to be supported, to feel validated, to feel valued. And so understanding that within a, any huge change that comes about, especially when you're dealing with a crisis, right. it is usually easier for people to say, you know what, I'm not dealing with any of that quote unquote extra stuff. So any strides that may have been made, any gains that may have been made, any organizational shifts that, you know, were in the process, because we know corporate moves so quickly when it comes Mm -hmm. to change. (laughs) Right. This was our 10 year plan and we were in month two. (laughs) Um, So for those people who were in the midst of a change or who had even just started the conversation and now all of this has come up. And they're saying, oh, well, you know what? We don't need to deal with that right now because we have more important issues. What kind of tips or if you could give them three things that you mm-hmm. want them to be able to do, you know, when it comes wow. to, um, you know, how to make sure that their vulnerable populations are not swept under the rug and completely, you know, marginalized during this. What were the what would be the top three things you would tell them that you would suggest they be able they implement? Well, the first thing is is I think that organizations need to uh, recognize that this work of diversity, equity, and inclusion is not just for the people that are in HR positions or those who carry the title of chief diversity officer, manager, director, whatever the case may be. I think that everyone who finds themselves in a position of influence, and that's really what leadership is about, right? They need to start paying closer attention and amplifying the voices of those who, whose voices are not heard as often. So they need to see this work of DEI as a leadership competency. And what I find is that, generally speaking, a lot of people can appreciate and value the fact that some level of attention is happening to DEI, but they're passive about it. And this is when, before Mm COVID-19, passive from the standpoint of, I'm glad this is happening and that there are people in place to facilitate that, but that's not my role and my function. That's for someone else. And so I think the first thing is, is to lean into and own the fact that being inclusion-minded is a leadership function. So now is a time and a great opportunity for all of those key influencers to demonstrate great leadership, right, during this global crisis. Mm -hmm. And part of that leadership is, again, taking responsibility for helping to create inclusive, equitable spaces where we're paying even closer attention to help people feel valued, seen, and heard. And again, that sense of belongingness. The other thing that I would say is, I think, generally speaking, oftentimes those who are starting to um, progress in the area of diversity, equity, and inclusion, they tend to value activity over impact. And I think that's a wrong approach. I like to see people to not just address the complexities of diversity, equity, and inclusion with some type of program or initiative. And don't get me wrong, Keisha, I think that there's uh, value in programs and initiatives, but the reality is that they have start and end dates, right? Yes. And I think that generally speaking, you know, prior and post COVID, um, we need to start thinking more broadly and more systemic about this work of diversity, equity, and inclusion. We need to operationalize it throughout every area of the organization. And what that looks like is impacting policy, culture, structures, procedures, practices. And if part of you know, all of those, those elements lead to some type of initiative or program, 
thinking about it in such a fashion to where it's not just a one and done start and end date, but it's really being intentional about how is this going to be transformative. So once we leave that particular gathering or that initiative has ended, we can still point back to a continuation of progress that's being made that's sustainable. So we have to get into the mindset of shifting from activity to impact. And then the third thing that I would say has everything to do with the sense of being intentional around the work of allyship. And allyship is all about action, right? So at the bare minimum right now, um, we need for leaders to see themselves, especially those that are in positions of privilege. And when I talk about privilege, it's, it's really broad in the sense that it's, it's all of us can find ourselves if we take inventory of our lives, identifying areas where we are privileged. I often share with my audience that as an African-American female, I'm privileged. I grew up in a home where I have both parents. Um, I'm a well-able body individual. Um, I, you know, I have been able to be in rooms because of, of, of situations that had nothing to do with me, but others seeing the value that I could add and putting me in that space. And so we each have to think about what our sources of, of power and privilege are and leverage that to influence opportunities for others. And so that allyship piece, I think, is so important right now and needs to be amplified. And it starts with organizations really leaning into that and understanding um, what allyship is all about, what are those opportunities to demonstrate that effectively. And it begins with, um, with action. That is the bare minimum. You have to stand in solidarity, and you can't do that just with voice of sentiment. You have to actually have that to follow up with some type of action. And you know, those are all three really key components, I think. And one thing that I, I have, um, I've looked at this as a different kind of opportunity because I look at change differently than most people. Um, mm -hmm. Of course, you want there to be thought out, strategic, systemic change that comes as a result of everyone understanding what it is they're getting into and, and what their roles are and everything else. But then I find that there are times when forced change, like what we're facing with COVID-19, there, this is the perfect opportunity. <laughs> yes. To, to change because yes. There, we're into a quote unquote new normal, as I call it. Mm -hmm. Nothing that we did before is the same. We're all having to work differently. We're all having to reimagine and reconfigure what our teams look like and what it means to be in collaborative spaces. We have the opportunity now, the three things that you just mentioned, that before you may have gotten some pushback, oh, well, you know, it's going to take a while for this process. And, oh, we have to think of a strategy for this. And, oh, you know, organizationally to change the culture, it's going to take so much more, you know, in-depth analysis and so on and so forth. Everything just got turned on its head overnight. Right. It could become, you know, paralysis by analysis. You're feeling like you're having to continue to analyze everything, then you'll never start. So sometimes people will say, well, Dr. Y, where do I start if I'm really trying to chart this pathway? And sometimes I have to just tell them, you know, right now for you, you need to just start. Do something, you know, and then let that something hopefully give you a little bit of momentum and traction where you can begin to then be even more thoughtful and strategic about some of the other steps. But Sometimes we have to just start. And that starting for a lot of people is exposing themselves to learning and development to be able to understand these broad constructs of diversity, equity, and inclusion. What they are, what they're not, how to deliver upon them effectively. Because let's face it, while those of us who are in this space would love to think that everyone understands and are talking the same language as we engage in dialogue around DEI, there are many people who still, when you use those terms, they are like, I have no idea what you're referring to. 
I don't know what you mean by diversity. Right. And I'll say, I'll say this too, Keisha, I think that we have found ourselves in a predicament where we have been defining diversity um, in a very narrow scope. You know, we tend to define it as the optics of age, race, and gender. And diversity mm -hmm. is so much broader than that. There's so many different layers. And we have to make sure that we are talking about diversity um, in a much broader, sophisticated fashion to include all of those broad layers. And I think that we're seeing a little bit of that during this COVID period, simply because we're given emphasis to people's mental health, given emphasis to, you know, the people that are having to be caregivers um, of, of, you know, parents, right, inside their homes. And that adds to the complexity, while at the same time, maybe they're also caring for kids, you know, so there's a lot of other situations. Even as it relates to the, the, the online virtual components of connecting people, we have to consider there's some people who have auditory challenges. And so if you're on like a Zoom or something of that nature, or you're using closed caption or finding ways to make sure you are engaging them, um, you know, you have your introverts and your extroverts. And so there's, there's multiple reasons that um, this whole topic of diversity, which is simply just a point or respect to which things differ, um, is, is really bubbling up to the top. And it goes back to your point early on when you mentioned that this work is essential now more than ever. Yeah, and, and I love that. I think that when, when we look at the work of, of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and we look at the work of belonging, and, and it all keeps coming back to this whole thing of just be people-centered. You know, mm -hmm. just look at the people around you and what would it take to make the people around you feel like they belong, that they're right. valued, that they're appreciated? And if you had someone, and I, and I always liken it to you're, you're throwing a party at your house, mm -hmm. and you're the host, and as the host, anyone that comes into your house, you want to make sure that they're comfortable and that they're having a good time. So right. you're going to ask, are there any allergies? Is there anything you don't eat? You're going to prepare right. a meal to make sure that they can eat. You want to make sure that there's entertainment, that everybody can participate. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. hey, are there any particular games? You're not going to do something. If you know that there's someone who's fit, who has physical limitations, you're not going to introduce activities that they can't participate in. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. And, and I think that we, we complicate things too much. Like you said, <laughs> we have these definitions in our head of what it is and what it's not. And to make sure I'm quote unquote doing it right. Yeah. When, if you just think about a person, I want this person to feel welcome. I want yeah. this person to feel like they can contribute to the jokes in the room and that they understand what we're talking about. I want this person, if we're all sitting down at the dinner table, I want them to be able to eat something and enjoy it. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. And, and yeah. so I think if we break it down to its most basic form, just think you invited all these people to your house and you want to be a good host. So if you're right. the leader and, and, you're the on, and you're the host and you're the only one doing anything, of course it gets tiring and you're the one that's burned out. But if you're the host, you make sure that you introduce people to each other so that they can connect. Because if I show up at your house and I don't know anybody, the first thing you're going to do is introduce me to some other people so that I don't feel alone. Right. Absolutely. What you're describing, Keisha, is the essence of inclusion. Mm -hmm. And at the center of that is intentionality. 
we have to be intentional. We cannot be passive about the work of inclusion because it does not happen necessarily organically. And even if it does, oftentimes it's not going to be optimized or sustained. So we have to put in the forethought, you know, of how do we make this experience meaningful for everyone? And first and foremost, before you can have that mindset, you have to care about everyone having a meaningful experience. And so oftentimes I share this work of DEI, it starts at the personal level, right? That personal awareness, because if we can manage and lead ourselves, then we can manage and lead others. You know, and if we think about the fact that institutions are ran by people, right? And so people are the ones who are building the policies, the procedures, the practices, they're helping to set the tone for the culture we have to make sure that we are addressing this work at the individual level. So there's a lot of self-reflection that I think is a great practice for people right now during this season as well. Awesome. Well, I know that you have done, um, you offer uh, training, you offer speaking, you know, there are a lot of ways. I know your website has tremendous resources on it. So tell people what it is that, you know, how they can get in touch with you, um, how they to continue the conversation and, you know, even though most organizations are looking drastically different now, I think that this is the prime time for them to reach out to you and talk to you about what this looks like now, as well as in the future. So what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Sure. Well, my management consulting firm is under my brand name, Nico I Consulting, and I intersect the work of diversity, equity, and inclusion with leadership and business. And so while I'm based in South Carolina, I travel all over the country, even have some work that I do internationally. And I really just help those organizations to successfully integrate strategic diversity and intentional inclusion into their business frameworks. I do offer training. I do a lot of one-on-one um, -on -one consulting. But partly my services are customized to meet the needs of my clients. And so some are on a, a vastly different um, phase of their trajectory towards um, this work of intentional um, diversity and inclusion. And so I really like to find out what their needs are and um, to develop strategies that really meet them where they are. Right now, I am offering um, virtual training. So for those who are um, fortunately finding it fit to not stop this work of exposing people to learning and development around DEI, I do offer virtual training options through um, videos as well as through custom you know, webinars. I also have some free resource options that I want to mention as well, Keisha. One of which is called Intentional Conversations, which is a virtual community chat that I do every Friday with the co-host. And it's where we're intersecting conversations around DEI, leadership, and business. And they always take place from 11 to 12 noon. Uh, people can register from my website. Again, that's a free resource. And twice a week, I am putting out a, a video content that um, is called Inclusion Uncomplicated, and it's all about making DEI practical, so simplifying the concepts of DEI. And those are just quick, no more than a, you know, two or three minute videos just to provide some quick insights that people can begin to, again, increase their cultural confidence and their learning around diversity and inclusion. Um, and lastly, I'll mention that I have published two books. The first one is entitled The Intentional Inclusionist, and it's all about um, identifying ways in which, again, we can lean into our own responsibility to leverage our influence in whatever circle or sphere in which we belong to help foster diversity and inclusion. And I followed that book up with another one that was published a few years ago, and it's entitled Next Level Inclusionist. And it's all about transforming your work and yourself for diversity, equity, and inclusion success. And so... I, I hope that those resources will be of help to someone. Awesome. And if you missed all of that, you weren't taking notes, you can go to my website at carsgroup.com. That's K-A-R-S group.com. 
um, click on the podcast link. There will be a specific page dedicated to this episode where you can listen to it again, and it'll have all of the links that she described, um, bio and ways in which you can contact her. Thank you again for joining us. This was awesome. I always love talking to you. I have a feeling we're going to be connecting in much more <laughs> ways um, moving forward. But um, to you guys that are listening, thank you for joining me for another episode of Mindset to Mastery, the podcast where we provide tools, tips, and actionable items to assist you to change your mindset and master your success. Visit our website at carsgroup.com. That's K-A-R-S group.com, where um, I am actually launching my Equipped for Change series that is going to be coming on that will give you some tools and tips and um, some online resources that will assist you in leveraging the change that's going on in order to create the success that you deserve and desire. Thank you for joining me. My name is Keisha Rivers, uh, President and Chief Outcome Facilitator of the CARS Group. I have been joined by Dr. Nika White, and we would love to encourage you to do what you can to take control and make your life, your organization, and your world the success that you desire. Until next time. Bye-bye.